Ordinarily, this is a place in the time that I step off of the stage and um, someone else, someone steps in like Josh and uh, does an awesome and amazing job. But Josh is today, uh, Josh is with his family. And uh, if you guys have been keeping up, you know that, that uh, their littlest, Holland, has been uh, uh, in need of a surgery and she had that surgery uh, on Friday, and just so in case you don't know, she came through it very well, but they are still in the hospital, and so um, I am stepping into his role, and so I appreciate, I appreciate so much the, the uh, opportunity of being able to speak, and there are so many gifted uh, guys who are uh, here that, that do get to fill in and from time to time, and I'm just thankful that I, that I get a chance to do that. So let me, ask you a, let me ask you a question. Um, did you ever do something where you look back on it and you thought, well, that, that was kind of foolish. Maybe it was a little impulsive. Maybe not a lot of thought went into it. I know I have. When I was younger, <clears throat> much, much younger, I was a little bitty kid, uh, um, my parents probably let us watch cartoons a little too much, especially the ones that had the superheroes. Uh, I remember watching Superman and watching Batman and watching Spider-Man, watching all those, all those people just uh, over and over and over. My son had a favorite. Uh, do you remember He-Man? Remember He-Man? His arch nemesis Skeletor. You remember all that? Well, that's, um, we, I, I think I probably watched way too much of that, and I was a little too impressionable. Um, so much so that my brother, just two years older than me, his name is Damon, uh, was able to convince me that a lot of that is true. And here's the deal. The power, the power was in the cape. problem is I didn't have a cape, but I did have something really cool. My mom had towels in the bathroom. Now, they just weren't, you know, she had the everyday towels, right, that you'd, that you'd use, but hanging on the towel rack where, where you, don't, you didn't dare touch, there was this towel that had a, a uh, a monogram on it, the letter B for my la our last name. Now, Superman had a big S on the back of his, so surely this could work, right? And so my, my brother convinces me, I'm probably seven, maybe eight, maybe 14, I can't remember. But my, my brother convinces me that if I put that on, I could fly. So he helps me tie a knot around it, on my, on my, on, around my neck. Uh, and he gets out the ladder, and I climb up onto the roof of the house. No lie. <clears throat> and uh, he says, okay, now you can fly. And just in case you didn't know this, it looks a lot higher from up there than it looks down, down on the ground, right? And so um, after, after a good amount of coaxing, I finally 
take the leap and I fall to the ground. Luckily, I didn't break anything. I knocked the wind out of, I got the wind knocked out of me. And finally, when I stopped crying, the only thing that I had was grass stains all over my mama's towels. And I did get in trouble for that, but I didn't, I didn't break anything. Foolishness. There was, a, there was another time, and, and, and I, I hate to admit this, but my brother Damon was involved in this as, as well. <laughs> uh, it, didn't, it didn't get cold. You know, it didn't get freezing, freezing cold down, you know, down here as much like as it does up north. But one day when I was just, we were just kids, it, it got so cold that in, in the woods right behind our house, there were some, there were some ponds, two or three ponds there, uh, and those things had frozen over. And um, so my brother convinces me again, hey, you know what we can do? We can go ice skating. That'd be cool, right? Never going ice skating in Deweyville before. Um, and so um, we run back to the house, and, and, and obviously nobody has ice skates, but we did have roller skates. And, and these are the skates, not the, not the kind that you get at the skating rink, but these are the kinds you, you just attach them to your, to your shoe. You lace them up onto your shoe, and voila, you're, you're skating. So we get those, we bring them back. Sadly, we only had one pair. So guess who gets to wear those? He helps me get those on my feet. And then I'm, I'm, we're, we're touching, the, we're touching the, 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 the ice right there on the edge, and sure enough, no, it feels pretty solid. Feels pretty, I put one foot out there, then I, then I put the other foot out there. It's holding me up. And before you know it, my brother is behind me and has shoved me out into the middle of the pond. And I went five feet out, five feet under. Because obviously the, the, what was solid near the shore was not solid out in the middle. And so once they, when, they, when they fished that little frozen kid with his roller skates on out of the water, I learned, I learned a valuable, valuable lesson. Foolish ideas. Foolishness. Well, there's a story in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel about how Jonathan, the son of King Saul, took a huge step of faith and saw God do something amazing that he would have never seen if he hadn't taken the step of faith. Now, some would look at what Jonathan did and call it foolish. But as you can later see, it was a great step of faith. The story will show you how faith in God can not only change your life, but it can also change the outcome of an entire nation. How many of us, how many of us wish, you know, I just wish I could do something meaningful for God. I wish I could do something that really made a difference. Listen, people who make a difference don't just sit on the sidelines. They don't live their life stuck in neutral. Turn, if you will, to... Uh, the book of First Samuel, chapter 14, if you have your Bible. If not, the words are going to be there for you on the screen. Let me begin reading in First Samuel 14, beginning with verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. 
but he did not tell his father. Remember, Jonathan's father was the king, King Saul. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to was the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other was Sena. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, let, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here until we come down to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign to the, that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands or given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So let's set the stage. The children of Israel and the Philistines were embattled against each other. Now, you tell me, any time you can think of in the Old Testament just about when Israel was not in battle against the Philistines. They were always doing battle with the Philistines. They were the enemy. They were the enemy. Remember, Goliath was a Philistine. Who were they? Well, the Philistines were, were warriors who had inhabited the land that God had promised to Israel. They were also described by God as being idolatrous and wicked. See, the, the, the Philistines were convinced that their gods were more powerful than the gods of Israel. So war continued to rage against them. In short, the Philistines were the bad guys. But God commanded Saul to engage in battle. And if so, God guaranteed the victory. Um, 1 Samuel, if we went all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, this is what it says in, in verse 3 there. And, and this, is, this is the message that, that the Lord has told Samuel. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves also to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. But instead of engaging the enemies like God commanded, Saul was disobedient. So much so that he was frightened and he kept, he kept away from the battle and he settled under a pomegranate tree, it says, and did nothing. 
Now Saul, Saul had, had his army, had, he had 600 men sitting down doing nothing beside him when God had commanded them to go into battle. Now let's, let's think about it for, from a human standpoint. Was, was it, would it have been a good idea for Israel to engage the Philistines in battle? Well, not really. Not really at all, in fact. Because Saul only had 600 soldiers. And get this, he only had one sword. Only had one sword. Why was that? Why would the army go out with only one sword? Well, here, here's... Here's the deal. The Philistines all this time were going in and out of Israel uh, and, and performing these raiding parties. Well, one of the things the Philistines discovered or realized was that if, if, if there were blacksmiths in the country, the blacksmiths would be making spears and be making swords for the army. So the Philistines had all the blacksmiths killed. And so there was no, there was no one to make the... the, the the weaponry that Israel needed. So King Saul had a sword and Jonathan had a sword. That's it. There were no, there were no other swords. So did it, would, it, would it make sense? And, and the, the Philistines had much more advanced weapons and outmatched Israel's willpower, uh, manpower. In fact, it said that um, the Philistine had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and it says that had foot soldiers that numbered the grains of sand. So from a human standpoint, did it make sense that Israel would go to battle against Philistines? No. Didn't make human sense at all. But here's the situation. Remember, remember what God said back in chapter 7. I promise I'll deliver them into your hands. Have we ever known God to break a promise? Of course not. The victory was a sure thing. But Saul sat down under a pomegranate tree. Who, who, who was with Saul? Well, it said he had the 600 soldiers, and he also had a guy named um, Ahijah. Ahijah was, was the priest. So, in other words... There was all of the political authority, all of the military authority, and all of the religious authority at the hands of King Saul. They were, they were right there at his disposal, sitting under the pomegranate tree. And don't forget, it's important, you don't forget God had given the victory into their hands. There's a battle ensuing and Saul pitches his tent in safety. Listen, God isn't calling you and me to the sidelines. He's calling us to the front lines. And if we're going to follow after God, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to see God do something in our lives and through our lives, we've got to be obedient and we've got to be willing to step out, even when it seems that the odds are not in our favor. They pitched the tent. Sometimes we pitch tents as well. God's calling us to do something, but yet we want to play it safe. So we pitch our tent, and sometimes that tent looks like complacency. It looks like complacency that, you know, that's just, that's, I, I, I like where we are. I like where we are. Uh, it's, it's good. It's, um, another word would be self-satisfaction. We pitch our tent, the tent of self-satisfaction, that we are, we, 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 we've got what we've got, and we'll just, we, 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 
we'll accept that. We, we like that. I, a long time ago, long time ago, I was, in a, I was with my parents on a vacation in, uh, in Arkansas. Somebody's phone's ringing. Excuse me. Uh, um, went into this store, and there was a sign on this store, on the door, and this is what it says. It said, there ain't hardly no business what comes in here that ain't went after. I wondered if there are English teachers there in Arkansas, but I, <clears throat> I, I don't know. There ain't hardly no business what comes in here that ain't went after. In other words, it says... We go after people. We draw them in. We entice them in. We want them in. So anybody that comes in here, it's because we've gone out there and we've got them. Well, that's, that's the way God's called us. God tells us to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, draw them in. But yet we want to pitch a tent of complacency and just say, you know what? I kind of like, I kind of like where we are right right here it's not too crowded you know I, I don't have to fight too hard for a parking spot I know most people's names I don't by the way uh, um, so we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll accept what God has given us there's there is the there's the tent of fear the tent of fear that says look I, I that's just not who I am I'm not I'm not comfortable that way. I'm not, I'm not comfortable to, to, to teach, or I'm not comfortable to share my faith. I'm not comfortable to stand, uh, to stand up for something that, even though, the, even though the crowd may say that it's okay, and, but, but in my heart, I believe that God has called us to stand against that. I'm, I'm a little, you know, I, I, can just, I can just stay within myself and, 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 and believe it's wrong, even though... God's word says otherwise. Sometimes we just, we're, our silence, our, our silence gives approval. And God calls us to not pitch a tent of fear. Sitting under the, sending, sitting under the pomegranate tree. You know, there, there's safety. There's safety there. There's security there. There's comfort under the shade of the pomegranate tree. When we sit under the pomegranate tree protecting the life we have, we risk giving up what God really wants for us. And there, King Saul, they find King Saul and his soldiers and even the priest. But then there's Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who refused to just sit there. Verse 6 in that passage we just read. Jonathan goes up to his armor bearer, probably wakes him up. Says, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Now, to me, this, is, this has got to be one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible. Because this is what he says. Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Don't you love that? In plain English, I think what he was saying, he said, hey, let's go pick a fight with the enemies. Maybe God will show up. Maybe God will help out. He says, verse six, the end of, that, end of uh, verse 6 says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Remember, God's, God's 
promised the victory. And God could, choo- God could choose to use a lot of people or he could just choose to use a few. It didn't really matter because the odds are irrelevant when God's on our side. You know, it seems that our wealth and our abundance sort of have, they've sort of have positioned us to accept this paradigm that provision precedes vision. God's calling you and me to this great adventure called the Christian life. But if we can, if we can see it on paper, if we can figure it out, if we can meet and we can meet and we can meet some more and we can plan it out to the nth degree and we can see how we can pay for it and we can see the people who will help run it and we can see all the obstacles and head those off before, before the, uh, uh, we, we engage in this whatever, then maybe we'll step out. But maybe, maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe they're not all clear. Maybe we can't see the end of the story. Maybe all the money isn't in the bank. And we aren't sure what is waiting for us around the corner. But we know God's there. And that's enough. Maybe, maybe God will help us. And then there's the armor bearer. Don't, I love his response. This is what he says in verse 7. Do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. All the great crime-fighting duos in history. Batman and Robin. The Lone Ranger and Tonto. The Green Hornet and Cato. Starsky and Hutch. Andy Griffith and Barney Fife. I think you can add Jonathan and his armor bearer to this list. He said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Picture this. The young man, quite possibly a young teenager, is sound asleep. He gets, this, he gets abruptly awakened to which he is told, let's go fight these guys. I know the odds are against us are like maybe 100 to 2, and we only have one sword, but let's go. Maybe the Lord will show up. If I were the armor bearer, and I, he said that to me, I'd say, maybe the Lord will show up. May, maybe the Lord will show up. Why don't you come back when you know for sure? And then John, Jonathan reveals his strategy. I love this. I love this. Look at verse 8. Come then, we will go over toward the men and let them see us. Now, I'm, I'm not a military strategist. I was never even good at playing army when we were kids. I was always the first to be captured. I'm not a military strategist by name, but I got to tell you, this sounds like a terrible idea. Let them see us? Don't you mean let's sneak up on them? Let's catch them off guard? Let's use the element of surprise to attack them when they don't see us coming? Isn't that a better idea? When we're outmanned, you're outnumbered, you're out-equipped, you, you don't just walk out in broad daylight and let them see you. You must remain invisible. But Jonathan knew this victory would not come through strategy or human strength. It would only come through God showing up. He was creating this opportunity for God to bring about this victory that he had already promised. And for this to happen, they would have to become visible. 
in our lives, it's easy to stay invisible, to be anonymous in our Christian walk. You know, some people choose their churches that way. They, they, they want a they place where they can just kind of blend in. You know, many people, they, they, they want to become anonymous. They, 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 they can come and go as they please and never have to get involved. They can feel no need to plug into ministry or give of themselves because there are so many other people who are more talented, more educated, more trained. People, they, they don't need me. But when you make yourself visible, sometimes someone may ask of some, something of you that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. Sort of like when you're in school and the teacher asks a question and you don't know the answer. What do you do? You put your head down because you don't want to make eye contact because she might call on you. We must become visible. Becoming visible is risky business. There's no turning back once you make yourself visible. I love uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send in for us? And I said, Here I send me. It's calling on Jonathan to trust, even though his, this was a new experience for him. Jonathan had never done this before, but God was calling him to do something that he'd never, that he'd never done before. But remember, God had promised the victory. God wants to do something in us and through us that we've never seen or experienced. And that can only happen when we make ourselves visible. God wants to do something we've never seen before in our life. God wants that for you and for me. He wants that in the life of our church. Something we've never experienced before. It's, it, it's, like, it's like going to Disney World. You go into Disney World and you love Space Mountain. You love it. So you go there and you pay all that money and you ride Space Mountain. You don't ride anything else. I've never experienced anything else. I'm comfortable with Space Mountain. I like that. Well, what about Thunder Mountain? What about It's a Small World? What about Journey into Imagination? Mad Tea Party? Rock and Roll Roller Coaster? Sitch's Great Escape? Swiss Family Treehouse? Tom Sawyer's Island? Tomorrowland Speedway? Toy Story, Mania, Tower of Terror, Soarin', Cinderella's Cruise. Besides, let me tell you, Tower of Terror, I won't have that one again myself. But uh, how about all those? Nope. I like Space Mountain. That's, I, I, I'm used to that. I've never, I've never experienced any of the others. For our church, this happened. This happened when we were moving out here nine years ago. In fact, almost nine years ago to the day. What, what do you mean you're building a church with an indoor playground? Indoor playgrounds belong at McDonald's. Think of all the space that takes up. How many Sunday school rooms could you have if you, if you didn't put that thing in there? What, what, what do you mean you're building a church with a cafe? You mean your church is going it's, it's, it's to like serve coffee and, 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 and sandwiches and people can come there and eat and people can get off work at lunch and come in. Have, what do you mean? What, what do you mean you're, 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 you're going to take property and you're going to build soccer fields and baseball fields and walking trails? We've never seen that before. That's crazy. 
40 years ago, a guy named Ralph Neighbor wrote a book entitled The Last Seven Words of the Church. Those last seven words is we've never done it that way before. Trust me, church, lots of churches even today are still saying that. We've never done it that way before. Story goes on. Jonathan and his armor bearer go to the Philistine outpost, and they, with one sword, defeat all the Philistines who were there. Now, I wonder what Jonathan thought would happen when he entered their camp. I kind of speculate that he, he had confidence that God was going to give them the victory, though, although he didn't know for sure. You know, he said, if they, if they say, come up to us, then that'll be our sign that God has given them into our hands. He trusted God for the victory. But I don't know that Jonathan knew for sure that he was even going to make it out alive. Thankfully, he did make it out alive. Now, and, and when you picture this in your mind, and when I picture this in my mind, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how I think it all goes about. I guess maybe in my mind I'm thinking that they walk up there and there's just this big wind that blows and blows all these people. They just blow all these people over and they just die suddenly. And that, that Jonathan and Zarbar Bear don't even break a sweat. But in reality, it may have very well been that Jonathan, at the conclusion, this was bloody. And he was bruised, and he was beaten, and he was injured, and he could barely walk. And the same thing's true for this young man that was at his side. Listen, following God's directive, stepping out of our place of safety and anonymity may mean you risk suffering. It's not easy serving God. And if someone ever told you in this life that it is, then they lied to you. It's not easy. And can I tell you something else, First Baptist Church? You're outnumbered. You just are. So is every other church I know. So is every other person that I know to, who tries to stand up for the things of God, who tries to, to do what's right and tries to honor God with their life and live uh, according to biblical values. We're all outnumbered. But so is Jonathan. So is Gideon. And then, then there's this guy that maybe, maybe you... Uh, had not heard of. Uh, his name was Jephthah. Jephthah was one of David's mighty men of valor that you read about in, in the book of Second uh, Samuel. His mother was a prostitute. He was kicked out of his home. He was told he didn't belong. He had all the strikes against him, but God chose to use him mightily. Seems like the children of Israel were always outnumbered. They were always underdogs. They were always right on the verge of utter humiliation, uh, excuse me, utter annihilation. But God always came through. Faithlessness frees us, excuse me, faithlessness freezes us by fear. But faith frees us to step out in action. God's calling us from our lives of mediocrity to live outside the realm of our experience. And in order to experience this great adventure following and trusting and moving with God, we must be willing to get out of neutral, out of just coasting, out of taking our foot off the brake. 
what will we choose? What will we choose? Dads, what will we choose for our families? How will we lead? I know for many of you, I mean, we, we know God has called the, 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 the dad, the husband, to be the spiritual leader of the home. But for many of us, we say, I, I know, but that's just not comfortable there. And besides, my wife does such an awesome job. Moms, thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. Dads, we, we can be complacent in that way, but God's called that task to be ours. Can I tell you the pomegranate tree offers shade? You can pitch your tent right here. You can remain complacent and accept that this is where we are and this is where we'll stay. When I think about staying under the pomegranate tree as the church, it's, it's comfortable here. We can say just like this. But you know, stepping out, stepping out in faith may cause you to do something that you're not used to doing and you're uncomfortable with. Can I tell you some of those things? We right now, we desperately need people to step up and be leaders in connection groups. We need, and, and you may say, I've never done that before. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. God, God is, we desperately need new leaders. We need new connection groups starting. Not just here at church, not just here on Sundays. We need connection groups, small groups starting all over town. In your, in your house, in my house, in, in some, some, some office building. We need new connection groups to start right now. And we need you to take up uh, that, that uh, sword and say, you know what? That scares me to death. But if, God's, if God is in it, maybe that's what I do. Well, you can say like, uh, like some people, but I really love my, uh, my connection group. I would hate to start over with a new bunch of people I hardly know. Besides, I know everybody by name in my connection group. Or we could be like Jonathan and say, I can't just sit here. Let's move forward. Maybe God will show up. So we have a choice. Stay under the shade of the pomegranate tree or say, let's go. Maybe God will show up. Can I tell you one thing? Orange, Texas. Orange, Texas doesn't need another church under the pomegranate tree. What God can do through a person who's willing to trust and step out in faith is limitless. A few months ago, I was given a... I was given a... a do guys call these bracelets? I don't even know. I was given a bracelet, and it said the word limitless. The Swindells gave me this, and I'm so thankful for that. But it reminds me that when we do things and, 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 and trust God for the outcome, the possibilities are, are limitless. Don't, your, don't live your life in the neutral zone. God counts it a tragedy when we choose to simply watch life rather than live it. You can't follow God in neutral. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have, you have urged us and you have called us to step out of our comfort zone, not to live in neutral, but to, to move forward saying, come on, let's go. Maybe God will show up trusting you for your promises. God, thank you for that. 
I thank you for this church who, who steps out regularly in faith and says, we want to go with God. We want to, we want to follow after the things of God. We want to live uh, and, and we, we want to draw people in who love you. And Lord, we want to, we want to, we want to win our community for Christ. Lord, we want to be, we want to be soldiers winning the day for our community, for our children, for our teenagers. Lord, we want to be champions of faith. Help us to do that. Help us to live in a way that would please you and would honor you. God, you're, we love you and we thank you for all you've done, all you're going to do. Lord, this is our prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.